Hi, I'm Casey Mraz, and you're listening to the Lawyer Mastermind Podcast, where we help attorneys grow their law firms by interviewing experts who can fast track their success. Hi, everyone. I'm Casey Mraz with the Lawyer Mastermind Podcast. Joining us today is Justin Hill. He's a San Antonio personal injury uh, lawyer here. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely, Justin. So um, first off, tell us a little bit about your law firm, where you're located, what types of cases you take, uh, and just give us a little rundown. Sure. We're a uh, San Antonio-based personal injury law firm, a small law firm, just me and a couple staff. we focus on personal injury, but we do some product liability personal injury. Um, we do trucking, we do car wrecks. You know, in Texas, nobody's really doing med mal anymore, or workers comp, so we don't do that. Uh, we do a little bit of uh, environmental work, uh, but for the most part, kind of general PI. Okay, got it. Awesome. And how long have you uh, been at the firm? So I've been solo since oof, 2012 uh, or 2013. Before that, I worked for a big uh, plaintiff shop, uh, Michael Watts's law firm, and now he's kind of you know well known all over the nation. But I've been solo for about five or six years now. Okay, awesome. Well, I mean that's a decent amount of time, and you know I think for a lot of attorneys going out on their own, usually those first couple years start really being that determining factor of how they're going to do. What did you find? Uh, was that your case as well? Yeah. So I, you know I have this conversation with a lot of friends of mine that are thinking of splitting off and starting their own law firm, and you really got to humble yourself for one. Um, you've got to be willing to go ask people, you know, in our world, the whole ball game, a lot of times getting the cases because when you go out, you can't afford advertising and all that. So early on, I went out, I approached some, some, you know, advertising law firms and said, Hey, can you peel off any work and let me work on some of your cases on a referral basis? And where I had come from, I was not used to that, but you kind of have to humble yourself. You've got to live really lean. You've got to have an office that's really lean. And then, you know, a lot of luck, a lot of things have to line up. Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, a large percentage of people that go off on them that on their own don't make it, you know, after a couple of years. So, I mean, it's impressive that you've already been doing this for five or six years. What were some of the challenges uh, when you first got started? Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge is capital, right? First, you've got to be able to fund your operation. So um, I didn't start off just myself. I did have staff. I did have an office. And on the plaintiff side, you've got to be able to fund your cases as well. So I think kind of one of the biggest hurdles is having sufficient capital to be able to work your cases. Because look, we invest our money into a case and that case might not settle and we might not get our expenses back out of it for a year or two years. So there's a lot of capital outlay at the start. And I think that's kind of one of the biggest hurdles for somebody opening a personal injury practice. Got it. And you know, how long would you say it was after you got started until you reached a level of profitability for the firm? You know, we got lucky. I mean, I had a really good first year when I say good. I mean, we were profitable. Um, it was no big time, but like I said, I mean, I went and approached people and worked on smaller cases and did a good job and, you know, got a good amount on some of the cases. Um, but also at the same time, I kept my overhead insanely low. I, I paid on a bonus performance bonus based system. I had an office that was a small room in another law firm's office 
mm-hmm. um, which I think they charged me 200 bucks a month or something. So I kept nice. my overhead super low and I had a few things turn right. So, you know, it's a lot of luck and it's a lot of being able to keep your overhead low. Got it. So we got the, the luck and the bootstrapping. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you paid close attention there, which is really important. So if somebody wants, I think everybody that's, that starts a law firm, they're like, hey, you know, I want to go out, I want to do this. Maybe they have dreams to make a ton of money or whatever that is. At the very least, everybody wants to be profitable. Yeah. But running a business, as you know, is also completely different than being an attorney. What's your experience with the differentiations of those two? I mean, that's been the big, biggest learning curve for me is learning how to run a business. And, you know, you either have a passion for it or you don't. I have a passion for being a lawyer. And because of that, I have to run a business. But, you know, I've got friends that they love the business side and being a lawyer is kind of secondary. So uh, there's a huge learning curve to being a lawyer uh, that owns their own business because you're not taught QuickBooks or accounting when you're <laughs> in law school. You know, you're not taught HR or, you know, office morale or office culture or how to train employees. So there's all of these things you just kind of have to learn as you go. And and that's been a really big learning lesson for me. I've learned how to um, basically offshore some of that, uh, literally some offshore, literally some just to, a you know, handling my books. That's not in-house anymore. I found a contractor to do it. So lots of uh, mistakes were made. And now I think we've got a system that works for us. That's awesome. And sometimes, unfortunately, mistakes are the best way to learn. I guess it depends. Maybe not the best way. Maybe mentors. Not big of a mistake. Yeah. But definitely a, a way to uh, learn for sure. sure. And, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, you know, today, one of the things I really wanted to touch on are five keys to a profitable law firm. So, um, in your opinion, what's kind of the number one thing you need to be paying attention to um, if you want to run a profitable law firm? Keep your overhead low. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I can't overstate that. When I started my own law firm, you know, and you said it a second ago, a lot of people start a law firm, they want to make a bunch of money. And I think in the personal injury game, you have the guys with the jets and all that. So you have this attitude or personality that comes with this type of practice where people start their own firm and they want to live large and they want to be flashy and they want to show off. And a lot of them open their firm with too much of that on the front end. My first office was an office in another law firm. My second office was a second story. And my first story was a lady's apartment. So, I mean, there was no great shakes at what we were doing in terms of flashy. I told Mm -hmm. my clients, I don't have a nice office, but I'm going to do a really good job on your case. I'm putting my money into your case, not into my office or not into this or not into my car or anything like that. So overhead low, I just don't think it can be overstated. Got it. And then with that, um, just to talk about like when uh, case settles and you get that money, I guess also not spending all of that right away too, huh? Yeah. You know, a, a, a buddy of mine here in San Antonio who kind of went a similar path as me, he told me, look, invest in yourself. We were talking about sort of what's, what's he doing? You know, he's getting, he was older than me and are you buying property? Are you doing this? He was like, invest in your own business. So that's sort of been my take on it too. As I've made money, I have improved our processes. I've hired more employees. I've done some marketing to get more cases and you know, the better cases require more money. So, you know, we've invested in our own law firm and we think that's been a a really successful route and a smart move. Awesome. And do you, would you say, what's your work week like hours wise? You know, that's a funny question because I'm a big believer and it's not about the hours. So there are weeks in which I'll work 70 or 80 hours. 
I mean, you know, running up to trial, we had, we were getting real close to a, a big trial in February. And I mean, it was not uncommon for me to be in from 5 a.m. to kind of 8 or 9 p.m. That is not mm-hmm. normal though, you know, and if everything's slow and you've got kind of a lull, I'll probably get in in an average week, 8.30 to 5.30. So, okay. so we normally try to work normal hours for the staff here. They all voted and they work 8.30 to 6 every day and get off at 3 on Friday. So I let them kind of pick that. Okay, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm a, a huge fan of not overworking, uh, but really just kind of based on outcomes. How much of your time do you think is spent running the firm versus working on cases? Yeah, I think probably, uh, I mean, if you put sort of the marketing side into it and things like that, it's probably 30% uh, business and 70% um, work in a normal week. But look, if we've got a lull in sort of the legal work or it's, you know, deadlines hit and hit deadlines go. And so maybe I'll put more into the business side to get ahead of it. But during the shutdown, I mean, nothing was moving on the legal side, which gave us a lot of time to do a lot of work on the marketing side, on our website, on our social media, getting our books caught up and all those things that, you know, we do, but we had extra time and why waste it? Exactly. No, I love that. And I'm I'm glad that you, you know, took the bull by the horns and, uh, you know, kept doing things that are right for the business. So that's awesome. So as far as the second most important thing, for running a profitable law firm, what comes to mind for that? You know, I think you've got to surround yourself with uh, really good people. So um, we cannot do, a lawyer cannot do everything on their own. They have to be able to get assistance from their staff or from other counsel if the case needs it, a co-counsel or a local counsel. So I've always told people, you know, in our profession, don't be so greedy to not involve others where it's needed. Don't be greedy so that your employees don't feel motivated to work. We are a big bonus structure here. So our pay is what our pay is, which I think is market. But if we have a big year, everybody's going to benefit from that. So I think you surround yourself, whether it's your own staff or you bring in co-counsel, you bring in a contract worker. I mean, I have a case right now that I know is going to be really legal briefing heavy. I brought in a briefing lawyer. He's going to get a piece and I that comes out of my chunk of the case, but I know the case will be better for it. And I know it will take some time off of my plate. So you surround yourself with good people and understand that those good people should be compensated as well. And I think that really changes the ball game for, you know, what you produce in terms of work product. Sure. No. And I think, um, you know, surrounding yourself with the right team, obviously that's important. I really want to touch a little bit more on your uh, bonus structure there because, you know, while not everybody's motivated uh, by money, I mean, if, if, People are, you know, if they have that hanging in front of them, I feel like that is going to consistently bring a higher quality of work. Is that what you found or? Yeah, you know, I mean, so you can read the HR magazines and stuff on that. And a lot of them are kind of iffy on whether people are really motivated by money. Um, what I think it does is it it makes sure that you retain talent. Um, I don't know if people work harder because I don't really have any way to compare it because I compensate the same way the whole time. Sure. But I, I don't see my employees you know, going to monster.com and trying to find another job because, you know, our success has been good. And so they've been paid well. Now we've had years where it hasn't been as good and their bonuses have been way less. And, you know, they understand that we're taking a ride together. If it's good for me, it's good for them. If it's not good for me, it's not good for them. And really that comes from my first law firm where my old boss gave a sort of carve out piece of a firm's profitability, went to a bonus pool 
And however mm-hmm. big that pool got, that pool got big or it didn't. But I remember one year that firm had a big year and and some of the bonuses were insane. And I thought that was fantastic. And you don't run into many lawyers that, uh, that believe that people should be bonused, whatever they get bonused. A lot of them think, well, not more than this. We don't have that philosophy. If the office does great, everybody should do great. That's awesome. And that's great. I mean, and that, that's got to do wonders for your culture too. Um, and I don't know about you, but one of the hardest parts of running a business that I found is always the people. So if you have people that are going to stick around and, and be productive, you want to keep them and you want them to not be on monster looking for jobs uh, because right. they can throw a wrench in things. Yeah, that's right. And you know, another thing that I've sort of decided I prefer is I prefer people that don't have a long extensive history um, with other law firms or in the legal industry. I want people to come in. Look, I've dealt with it before where you get the person who comes in, who's done it at another place. And then you're always dealing with a, well, my old boss did this or the old office did that, or you should do this. Sometimes that's really productive and effective and it helps us, you know, get better processes. But sometimes you end up swimming upstream against your, your own practices and your own culture. And you have a staff member who's, who's rigid in the way they want to handle it. So, you know, my, my longest running employee right now, she was working as a night manager at a not very nice motel by the airport here in town. She answered an ad for a receptionist. She's now the head paralegal here. She is fantastic, but she's learned everything she's learned on the job. She's still learning, but that, that desire to learn, I can't overstate how important that is in employees. And I've realized that all of the successful ones that I've had have all had that desire to learn. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's hard to find, honestly. Yeah, I think so. You know, so many people think their job's making a widget that they're going to come and they're going to stamp a box every single day and they don't really care what it looks like and they don't really care what it is. If somebody has the passion to learn, they actually care what they're doing and that's why they want to learn. So it just sort of indicates a desire to produce a better product, I think. Yeah, no, no doubt. That's awesome. That's great advice. So, okay, let's talk about number three then for running a profitable law firm. Number three, um, you know, I, I think it could be number one, it could be number three, but I mean, your, your legal work has to be outstanding. I mean, you can have low overhead and you can have that. And there's a lot of firms that I believe are productive and profitable. Um, and I don't think their legal work is, is top notch. I mean, they're a mill. Um, so from my perspective, I think number one, two, and three are clumped really tight together but your product in a law firm is your legal work and your results. And so you can have all the other things in spades. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter. Now you might say profitable for a little bit, but that's going to catch up with you. You know, the online reviews and the online reputation and just the word of mouth and all of that is so pervasive now in how you're able to get and retain new clients that if you don't produce a good product, you're, you're going to slowly wither and die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think that, um, firms that haven't adapted and are maybe like poor at customer service have been or will really suffer now? I think they are. I mean, you kind of look at some of the old, um, the old institutional law firms in a city. And I think it probably every city you go to, you look at some of the ones that were slow to adopt, you know, technology, slow to adopt a website or social media or any of that. And they've never really paid any attention to reputation management. I mean, in this city, you have seen some of them slowly just start falling down the line in terms of sort of prominence and probably that equates to their, their, their bottom line as well. I don't know because I can't see their books, but 
you look at some of these firms that were well positioned to just dominate the internet and dominate reputation management because they were so early on a big mover and player and they just didn't. And now it's too late to catch up, I think, for a lot of them. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. And, um, you know, people with the internet now can, like you said, just leave an online review just from a bad phone call or, you know, even if they're uh, not even your client. So, right. yeah, some of that's crazy. Yeah. But that's <laughs> so, true. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so it really, I have seen a lot of the firms that are thriving these days really focus on that customer first and provide maybe a level of experience that wasn't typical in law in general uh, forever until pretty recently. No, you have to, because you're right. If it, we'll get a call for a case that we clearly don't take, if you look at our website, we're never going to be, a, you know, we're not going to do your divorce. There's no uh -huh. reason to think we will. And you can get a call from a client who asks you to do the divorce and you're like, we don't do that type of law. And then you'll get a review that said they won't take my case and it's a one-star review. I mean, and there's really no way around that. So our take is, hey, even if it's not the case we do, you listen to them, you treat them wonderfully, you, you apologize that it's not the type of work we do, and then you give them some sort of direction. So San Antonio has a San Antonio Bar Association, they do referrals. So we always try to make sure that even if we can't do it, we give them direction because at the end of the day, you do not want an angry person, especially when you didn't do anything other than, you know, your job, which ethically we can't take cases that we're not qualified to take. So we don't want to get a bad review for doing what we're supposed to do. For answering your phone. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Right. Wow. Okay. So um, let's, I think we have time for two more tips here uh, for running a profitable law firm. And really, I guess they don't have to be in any order. So just the next one that uh, comes to mind. Sure. Um, processes. So find your processes, whatever, whatever those are. Um, that's been really hard for um, us to kind of winnow down. So we've had them, we've had ones we like, then you start realizing this one and that one is stepping on the toes of each other, or these two are duplicative. So we are constantly trying to figure out how to um, narrow down our processes so that everybody's on the same page and so that we're not doubling up work. Um, and then I think at the end, you know, if you want to have a profitable law firm, you have to understand that you personally are building something. And I think you have a lot of lawyers who think the law firm's their piggy bank and kind of take and take and take. And then at some point, if you've got a, a bad year or a bad quarter, all of a sudden you've got problems. So it's been important to us to not run on a line of credit or anything like that. We want to know that we are financially stable. And whenever, you know, COVID and the shutdown happened, I, I told my, my employees that have been with me longer than three months, I said, y'all ain't going anywhere. You know, we, we are positioned for this. We have prepared, we have our own rainy day fund. And unless this goes on a year, you know, y'all are safe. And that's important because I need them when we get out of this. And if, you yeah. aren't, if you're not positioned or prepared for a rainy day, you might lose all your great talent. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really good advice. And I think that uh, I don't think we've even seen the beginning of what that fallout's going to be. You know, maybe some firms were able to get PPP money, but they were cutting it too close. And now that that's going to be at an end, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. And the cash is game. Bloated. I mean, if you're a bloated firm, this ain't a good time for you. No, yeah, for sure. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. Um, and then the last tip, number five. Oh, I think I combined the two. So uh, don't use it as a piggy bank and have processes. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's right. Cause I did kind of um, skip over the processes, but I did want to talk about that real quickly too, because process is a thing that I think a lot of firms struggle with. I, I struggle with it. Do you have somebody that handles that? Do you all work together to create those? So I, I think I have created all of them. 
And then we collaboratively keep changing them and fixing them and making them better. You know, early on it was checklists and then it was forms and then those forms became digital. And then those digital forms got incorporated into a document and file, file management system. So we've kind of got that workflow. Um, I'm not going to say perfect, but it's getting a lot better every single day. And we've got it to a point where we're pretty comfortable with it. We actually had a big sit down um, two weeks ago on a big portion that we realized was duplicative. And so now we're combining the two. So it's a never ending process uh, to make your processes better. But if you're paying attention, it's, it's not hard. It just requires a lot of upfront effort and then a lot of commitment to them. Got it. And I'm assuming that allows you to get consistent results as well. Consistency across all things. So not just in your cases, but in the way you handle phone calls and the way you handle, uh, you know, assignments within, your, you know, your own law firm. So all of it uh, is affected and all of it should hopefully allow for everybody to have more time to work on, you know, what they're, what they're hired to do. Okay. Yeah. No, that's great. And I think that's, again, just one of the areas that a lot of firms struggle with creating process uh, and then sticking to it. But, you know, the successful ones, the ones that figure it out, and around long term, you know, that, that has that becomes a core uh, part of their business. So that's great. Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who's looking to start their own firm right now in, in today's climate? Man, I, I mean, I've just been having these conversations with people too. First of all, the climate's a terrible time to do it. So <laughs> I told a buddy of mine, don't do it. This is just <laughs> not the time to do it. You know, intakes down. We're in a world where we represent people who get injured on the job or injured in vehicles. No one's driving and nobody's working right now for the most yeah. part. So it's not a good time to do it. You know, save and accept for people that are leaving and are bringing a docket of cases with them from an old firm or somebody's going to provide them uh, with a docket of cases. With all that said, you know, keep your overhead low. Borrow office space at first. You know, your first step should not be, I'm going to go do you know, advertising. That's, that's, that should not be your first step. Your first step should be building your firm, building your processes and having some cash flow available so that you can use that for, for marketing if you decide to do that. So I would say overhead low, choose very wisely on what you need in terms of staffing, if anything. I mean, if you're going out on your own right now, try to, try to do it with one person and that one person is going to be doing everything to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, be be able to humble yourself, be able to go to people that can help you and say, I need help. I've never done this before. Or do you have any extra work? Or can you guide me on, you know, marketing or preparing for a depot, whatever the answer is, but be able to humble yourself and ask for advice. And too few, too few of people are willing to do that. And I just think it's so much to their detriment. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. And having that humility really allows you to, you know, learn faster and not make those mistakes and learn the hard way. So, you know, I, I think that's solid. <clears throat> so Justin, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that uh, you wanted to uh, convey to the listeners today? Um, no, I mean, right now is kind of a funny time. And if you are not paying attention to all the free, wonderful CLEs that are available out there that keep popping up and are free for everybody, you are missing out. So that's my only advice. I'm telling all my friends that too. There are these great CLEs because all these conferences got canceled. Mm -hmm. So they've just, I guess, gone free with it. And I have had some of the most productive learning Zoom meetings I would have ever imagined. And, And people are sharing their documents and sharing their presentations. So if you're on shutdown and you've got a little spare time, start digging to see what free CLEs are out there because I've run into some just fantastic ones. That's awesome. 
Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to catching up in the future. All right, man. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it.